You're listening to Heart of the Hunter, a serialized fantasy novel set in Koronai, the magical country. This story was written and performed by Sam Chupp. For more information about this podcast, including upcoming role-playing game releases associated with this novel, check out heartofthehunter.com. Now, please enjoy Heart of the Hunter, Chapter 14. Somewhere far away, in Blackpool, a softly furred hand that ended in talons was surrounded in a white lace cuff. The mayoral ring of Blackpool rode on a finger, the sign of a wall marked by a cracked circle emblazoned in ebon stone and silver. The mayor woke early each day out of old habit and expected to find reports of the goings-on in his city written out in long hand and left on his breakfast tray. He was fond of hot, biting tea that cleansed his senses from the regrettable time spent comatose at night. Long talons clicked on the lacquered wood of the breakfast tray, idly, as he read the dispatches. Then the mayor set his teacup down. It was not particularly hard, but his manservant was quite familiar with the sound. Coming as it did at this moment in his breakfast, it never meant anything good. May I be of service, your honor? The manservant whispered. He'd survived years of service by being appropriately respectful, but not obsequious. Get me Sneeve, the mayor said. He's made quite a mistake, I'm afraid. It shall be done, your honor. The mayor turned and looked northward, shaking his head slowly. Arming native nail tongues was not the mayor's idea of a sound security policy. In his toadying attempt to do something, anything, to gain attention and standing in the masters, Sneeve had overstepped his bounds. The mayor leaned back in his high, wing-back armchair and closed his eye the ancient magical stone of power that served as his other eye throbbed with his anger. There would be an accounting, then. Business was business. Thank goodness you've come home, Arinin, Mamzelaine said and embraced the gypsy. Did you do aught as you should? Aye, the Talini Tana breathes no more, and his men are scattered, Arin said, smiling. There must be a celebration, Mamza. Jan is avenged. I beg your pardon, but I need your menfolk, Mamza Lane, the green ward said, interrupting. We must slaughter some trees to isolate the fire. That may be the only way to stop it. Arin looked up, surprised 
to see a green ward in their midst, surprised to see the flames burning the forest not far down the road, surprised also at the words the green ward chose. To call cutting down trees a slaughter was at once melodramatic and yet poignant to Arn's mind. A grin spilled onto his features as he realized who slept within his knapsack. He pulled it off his back and bowed. By your leave, Master Greenward. I believe we may have another way. With a flourish, he caused the bag to once again become his personal pavilion. Give us a report, Sergeant, Master Factor Jurgen said. I have been tending your friend's wound, but I demand to know what's going on. Here's the long and the short of it, Master Factor. We have a combat condition still. Haven't seen where those nails got off to, but I'm sure they're still about. There's also a danger condition, forest fire, and it's spreading. When will we be on our way? There are still many miles to Irontown. Peter paused and looked back at the factor. It was clear that the errand man would be asking him to leave the gypsies behind, no matter what that would mean to their continued survival. Still, there was a tactical advantage in staying together, one that he did not want to give up while he was unsure of their enemy's strength or number. We stay here for now, sir. We aren't sure whether the warband who attacked was large or small. We don't know where their reinforcements are. We don't know their strength or number. We could be riding straight into an ambush. Then you'll be sending your scout out, am I right, Sergeant? The rules of engagement say. Peter rolled his eyes. You've been reading the rules of engagement? Lothus tits, man! With all due respect, Master Factor, that'll be a book! I'll wager that thrice-damned writer of said book is in some cozy castle in Lunargen, and he'd be eating fairy cakes and drinking honey tea, and his thrice-damned book be out here getting men killed. As it happens, yes, Master Factor, I'd be sending out a scout. But first... We have to get this thrice-stamped fire dealt with. So, if you'll just crawl back in your hole. What are you doing? The Arandani man had begun crawling all over the cart, opening up cargo holds, inspecting tie-downs, until he found a particularly heavy bundle clamped with iron on the rear of the second wagon and laid an appreciative hand on it. Inspecting the cargo... None of your business. Peter cursed under his breath. Good day, sir, he spat and turned and stalked off. Dove, he called. Many now stood inside Arryn's pavilion with the red-haired Yarian woman, Chandra. Raven gently moved to wake her, mindful of the woman's still unsteady state, while Mamzelaine and Arryn looked on, and Alabar stood at the ready to assist his patient. The green ward stood in the background, arms crossed, 
mindful still of the slowly growing forest fire behind him. Mamsel Lane, may I introduce you to the Lady Chandra of the Merchant's Guild in Yar? I am pleased to meet you, Miss Chandra. I understand you've been quite in a fix. Do you be needing a healer? The red-haired Yarian woman shook her head quietly, eyes blinking, still coming to consciousness. How did I get here? When can I go back home? Alabar stepped forward and gently took the woman's hand, looking into her eyes. We are far from home, my dear, but you are safe in Arn's pavilion and among friends. Remember the healing I gave you? Chandra nodded slightly and rubbed at her eyes, still clutching with one hand on the sleeping furs with which she was demurely covered. Arin nodded and quietly murmured to his mother, Uh, Mamza, she'll be needing some clothes and women's things, if you don't mind. Mamza Lane nodded and sank back down to the young woman's level, kneeling on one of the dozens of cushions in the tent. Of course, of course. Certain she will need clothes. Certain I be. We have aught which will do for that. She gestured back to the two Philistine women standing in the tent opening. Do you see what you may bring for her? They both nodded and moved off quickly. Arin nodded. Good. For now, though, Lady Chandra, there be a fire to be dealt with. Alibar turned to Arin, bewildered. You're not surely considering sending her into the flames to deal with them, are you? Raven nodded. Sounds good to me. You saw what she did to Jack. If she can do that in reverse? All I can say is I've seen the aftermath of quite a few fires, and I've seen people pour water all over a burning house before. But nothing fixed it quite like a magicker coming by and dousing the fires with water, or whatever it is they do. Chandra gave out a yelp and held her head in her hands, pulling at her hair. Stop it! Stop it! Stop it, all of you! Chandra said, her voice unsteady. You don't understand. This power? This fire inside me is evil. It is sent from the Master of Dooms to destroy me. It has already destroyed my father. It sent me into the hands of criminals. I will have nothing to do with it. The Green Ward's gray eyes leveled on Chandra. Do you not know what else is at stake? The very forest burns. Do you know that all in this area will perish as a result if we don't stop it? Silence, every one of you! Alabar said, standing and raising his voice. The crowd, standing around Chandra, was shocked into silence, almost immediately. But she still clutched at herself and cast her eyes down, shaking. Leave us be. I will speak to her, Alabar said quietly. Arin, the Green Ward, and Raven stood for a moment, taking this in, thought to argue, but then decided against it. The young woman was clearly fragile. Perhaps it was best that Alabar dealt with her directly. A look of agreement passed between the three, and they quietly withdrew. 
Arn stopped only for a moment to rummage through an old cabinet's tiny drawers and then left without another word. Before Mom Delane could leave, Alibar held up his hand. Will you stay? Alibar asked quietly. Though she clearly had things to do and a husband to check on, Alibar's request touched her heart. It was clear by his tone of voice that he needed her to be a chaperone, yes, but also a steadying influence. Lane nodded. Of course. She turned back to the front flap of the pavilion, speaking to some of the faces still hovering there in the opening. Taylor, go fetch some water for washing. Dari, go and see what's keeping them with the clothing. Tell them that they are to give of their own stores if needs must. Now go! Alibar resumed kneeling next to Chandra and closed his eyes. Taking his crystal prism into his hand, he began to pray. Chandra looked somewhat shocked, even as she raised her head from her hands. What are, are you doing, brother? Praying, Chandra. Alibar said, quietly, without guile. Chandra's voice croaked, and Lane handed her a mug of cold cider to drink. She took it gratefully. Praying for what? Alibar sighed, completed his prayer, and opened his eyes regarding Chandra. I do not know how we are going to handle this situation, but I know one thing. The light knows a way. Sometimes I have to be quiet long enough so that the light can whisper the answer to me. The fires spread all around us, Chandra. There may be no escape for us. It also seems me to make my peace with the light. Will you pray with me? Alvar asked quietly. Chandra shook her head. Tear-blurred, red-rimmed eyes met his. I can't pray. Alibar sighed in mild exasperation. Just because you are touched by magic doesn't mean that you can't pray, Chandra. The light comes to all of us. It comes to all who wish to touch it. It does, Chandra said quietly. Alvar nodded. You see how the sun that rises every day shines on each one of us without regard to whether we ask. The same is with the light. Chandra let that sit for a moment. Outside the sun was rising and coating everything with the warm gold of spring. I suppose you're right. I'm sorry, brother. I just don't know what to think. I am... At that moment... Taylor arrived with a miraculous wash tub full of hot water, several thick valisti bathing cloths, a pot of bathing soap, a Changian scrubbing sponge, and Mamza Lane's bathing robe. Lane interrupted to demand that Alvar turn his back while she helped Chandra wash. Alvar turned to the far corner of the pavilion, looking away from the two women, spoke to that corner. What you are is a daughter of the light, child, Alvar said, not wishing to lose what ground they had already covered together. 
He held his prism again and began to pray quietly as Chandra bathed. Gently washing away the grime, the soot, the dried blood, Lane was amazed to see no cut or bruise on the girl. But her eyes were another matter altogether. They were hollow and empty, the soul within them seemingly broken. Child, you are who you are. What has happened to you? No one would ask for, Mamzelaine said, reaching the spots on her back that she couldn't do herself. The smell of fresh soap and hot, steamy water filled the pavilion. Though the wash tub brought drips and spills to the Michigan carpet on the floor, Mamzelaine paid it no mind. Better to have a damp carpet than a dirty woman, she thought. And Arin would just have to be at peace with that. Lane then worked on scrubbing her neck and shoulders. You have had an ill fate, but you are who you are. My Arinin, my son, would not have come for you if, it, if he did not think you worthy of help. Lane said, pride coloring her voice. He, he came for me? Chandra said, looking up into the gypsy woman's eyes. Lane saw a spark of life, a momentary attraction there. It was not the time to remind her that she was Gahe, and he was forever unavailable. So she kept silent. Instead, she smiled and said, That he did? He saw you captured by the mad dog, and he went to save you. He could not bear to see one more person slain by that man, Lane said, carefully sharpening the truth, she said. Chandra called over to the corner where Alibar prayed. Is this... is this true, brother? Alibar nodded, still not looking in the woman's direction. Aye, it is true, Chandra. Life has a way of taking care of its own. And even though Arin is not of our faith, that does not mean that the light might not act through him. All vessels of the light are acceptable, for the light does not choose, nor does it care the lens which it passes through. Chandra had never heard anyone of the church speak this way before, but it did make sense in the context of the light and its properties. She had never known anyone of the Church of Aelor who spoke with such gentleness and pure faith as did Alabar. But the things he said were surely blasphemy, weren't they? He was talking about accepting her for what she was, a demon child? Lane finished washing her charge, finally lathering up her hair with the soap and with the help of several buckets brought by Taylor, poured tepid water over it to rinse it. She then wrapped Chandra in her own bathing robe and toweled off her hair. Chandra sighed with very real relief. Seeing the wild state of the woman's hair, Lane smiled and said, Next we have to do something about your hair, Gahalina. First, Lane used her fingers to help untangle the woman's mane of long red hair then offered further comfort by producing a silver boar bristle brush. She worked the brush through her long tresses, and soon her hair shone with its own light again. 
The woman's tenderness and care was almost too much for Chandra. She felt as if somehow she didn't deserve this pleasure and didn't deserve to live. Unbeknownst to Lane, she was cutting crescents into her palm with the nails of her left hand. She wanted to go away. But a niggling voice kept coming back to her and reminding her of duty. This was just common decency. She had to find a way to pay these people back for their kindness. Father had always said to pay her debts first, even if it hurt. She owed these people for saving her life. But why did they think she could even do what they expected? Lane paused brushing as Chandra looked into her eyes. I don't know if I can do what the Green Ward wants. I don't know if I can put out the fire. I have only made the fire never put out something that large. But if that is what I need to do to repay the debt of honor that I have to your son, then that is what I will do. Bless you, Gahelina. Lane said quietly. You do honor to me and to my son. At that point, Dari arrived with an array of donated clothing. Most of it, while perfectly appropriate for Velisti daughters, was far too risque for Chandra to wish to wear it. She settled in the end for one of Lane's old Taishara dresses, the embroidered flowers reminding her of home, and the cut of her dress, specifically designed to cover a Wunja woman enough so that the gahe of the cities were not overly distracted. All done, healer. Do you turn and see what we have wrought? Lane said, smiling. The woman's hair was bound in a practical ponytail, and her youthful body managed to put curves into the dress that were perhaps not in keeping with its original intent. Her former filthy shift had been taken away, and she wore a pair of Dari's old walking slippers. She looked as if she were going to a party, not as if she were about to confront a raging forest fire. Alabar smiled and stepped towards her, taking her hand again. His voice was almost a whisper when he next spoke. Chandra, if you will do this thing, I will be with you every step of the way. And when you are done, Chandra, I will offer you the right of absolution. Chandra turned back to Alabar. You can do this? How? I thought you said you were a brother, a contemplative. I don't know all the ways of the church, mind you. I know that such disciples aren't vested with the rights that a priest has. I am a brother, and prefer to be called that now. But it is not entirely accurate. I am a contemplative, but before that, I was ordained as a priest, Alvar said quietly. He withdrew the prism he always wore around his neck. Perfectly clear, the crystal was an excellent prism, sending dancing lights of rainbows all around it whenever light struck. But the only source anyone knew of these sort of crystals was the priesthood of Alor. She had remembered seeing it back when he had healed her, but the thought and the fact had not caught up with each other yet. She dared not touch the holy prism, 
but she did nod in assent. Very well then, Patra. I will do what is needed, if I can. If it is possible to do it, I will do it. That is all any of us may ask, Alabar said, smiling. May it be so. The plume of flames that burned high in the sky served as both beacon and ward to the nail tongues who had gathered on the plain of Skither. Traveling from the east and west, summoned by Eulene's messengers, the warbands brought their strength to bear. The blood wolves had arrived first and purchased pride of place with their guards. The death birds carried their shamans and trained animals with them, and it was known that the war leader of the death birds was favored of Eulene. Precedence. Standing. These things were the most important to the two tribes. They didn't care that Uline had summoned them to fight softlings. They both wanted to be favored, each over the other. Which was exactly how Uline kept them controlled. As the shadow killer, the sun, gained high in the sky, burning away the mist of early spring, the plume of smoke grew wider at the base, and the smoke trailed tendrils much like the nail's tongues trailed rumor. But rumor was not important. The Swamp Queen would be there soon enough, and then all speculation would be at an end. You do understand the concept of scouting, right, Raven? What? Yeah, um, just go and see what's going on. You know, look around and stuff. Yes, and there'll be one vital part of the job you may be missing. What's that? Letting us know what you found? That means coming back, you see? Not getting into it with them? Do you have me? Oh yeah, I have you. Do I look crazy? Arin grinned. You don't want me to answer that, I'm certain. Silence, Gypsy. I'm no fool, Sarge. I'll tell you what. Pour me a beer. I'll go out there, I'll see what's what, and I'll make it back here before the head dissolves. It's a deal then, Raven. See you soon. Peter said, nodding, and she ran off into the woods, seeming to vanish the moment after she broke through the tree line. Do you go with Chandra? She's over there with the preacher in the green ward. They're going to do what they can for this fire. I, Sarge. Peter rolled his eyes. Not you too? Sarge? That woman's a bad example. But Arin merely swept him about and was off. Here I am. We can begin now, Aaron said, smiling. Green War, I give you greetings. Good greetings, singer. Or so your mother styles you? Aye. That is one name I have. We are seeking to stop the fire, Aaron, Alabar said, speaking up. Do you have any suggestions for Chandra? 
In matters magical, we gypsies always live by the rule, start small, grow tall. That is to say, you may wish to practice on a smaller flame. As to that, I have a magical candle lighter that may do the trick. It was a gift from your aunt, Wunjo, Alabar said, smiling. No, actually, it was from my uncle. See, it both lights and puts out candles. Here. Here you are, fair Chandra. Do you put this... Arn said, holding out a lit candle. The flame immediately winked out of existence, the wick burning for just a second as a tiny ember. I can do that already. That's not the same. I mean, look at the fire there! Chandra pointed to the flames in the trees, how they were spreading. The green ward nodded, his face contorted in an effort to control the pain he was clearly feeling, and Arryn could tell that the man felt the fire just as surely as if it were burning his own body. Then let's venture close to the burn, then. Shall we? Arryn said, wrapping his face with a kerchief, heading toward the flames. They had moved closer to the fire. Kenhill was visibly shocked when he saw how fast it had spread, as they had spent time securing the wagons, saving the people, and talking Chandra into helping them. Chandra held out a hand and winced. It's not working, Chandra said. It's not like opening and closing a door. It's more like milking a goat. It takes concentration. I can't feel anything that I can do. The flickering, hungry flames from the edge of the forest fire were clearly visible not far away, and Arryn carried a bucket to stave off the fire should it suddenly take a mind to change direction. Kimmel had shown them how to wear damp scarves over their faces to protect against the smoke and watch the flames while the other three worked on putting them out. Goat milking. Beautiful imagery, Arryn said under his breath, then louder. You'll never be able to do it if you don't have control. Have you found your center yet? He asked. My middle? It's right here. And I am a bit hungry, it's true. Chandra said quietly. Food will be later. For now, let's talk about your center. The gypsy call it the Baravi. It's your focus. I can't help explain it very well. It's just something the Papis taught me. I believe I understand what you mean, Arin. Albar said, interrupting. Here, Chandra, it's like this. Lean against this tree here. You're far too sore to sit on the ground. Once she had done as he asked, Alabar touched Chandra's forehead lightly. It said something that the woman trusted the shepherd enough to allow even this contact, after the abuse she'd suffered. But she allowed it, and even closed her eyes, to relax as best she could, leaning against the tree. Then Alabar allowed only a small amount of his light to seep from his fingertips into her mind and soul. Now close your eyes, and in your mind, picture yourself connecting with the flow of the tree. Feel the energy flowing through it, the energy of light and life that causes the tree to thrive, to grow. Send tendrils of your thought down the tree, into the roots of the tree. Feel that energy rise up into you, but also feel it connect you. Can you feel how it anchors you, 
keeps you connected? Alabar asked quietly. Yes, I, I think so, Chandra said, warily. Alabar nodded. All right, that's your grounding. The energy is neither building up too much inside of you, nor is it pouring out or choked off. Chandra's eyes fluttered, but she kept them closed. Yes, I see what you mean. How do you how do you know how to do this? I thought priests don't like sorcery. Alabar sighed, shaking his head, eyeing the flames as they spread, but his voice was calm. This isn't sorcery, my dear. This is closer to prayer. Relax. Fill yourself with the light. Now find your peace. Somewhere in your heart, perhaps, or your head. Some find it in their gut or their throat. It's... it's here, Chandra said, touching her lower abdomen. Alabar nodded, eyes not lingering where she touched, although Aran's eyebrow shot up. Ah, yes. So, um, feel how that feels. Focus on it. Focus your thoughts on it. Chandra's face broke out in a wan smile, her eyes still closed. It feels like a flower blossoming. It feels strange. Worry entered her voice. I don't know about this, Shepherd. It's really fine, my dear. You're doing fine. Can you get her to hurry up and put the fire out? Aaron mouthed, pointing at the flames. Kenhill's stony look was a more polite but similar request. Alabar's look shot daggers at both of them. Now, I want you to see if you can sense the fire from where you are, Alabar said. Chandra nodded. Oh, sure. The fire feels... alive. I can feel it not far away. It's... it's calling to me. Kennel interrupted in a quiet, calm voice. Important that you do not answer its call, Lady Chandra. That can be very destructive, very seductive. The Green Ward said, Trust me, I know of what I speak. Chandra nodded, eyes still closed, but she reached out one hand in the direction of the flames. It wants to be free, unfettered, uncontrolled. It doesn't care about us. It doesn't care about any of us. It just wants to burn, consume, destroy. Hungry. So hungry. I won't let it. Not if I can do anything about it. Her eyes were still closed back against the tree. She breathed rapidly then, and her arms shot out and up. A sudden, flesh-eating arc of fire burned its way towards her from the distant trees. It roared like a beast hungry for blood. Aran tried to bring his bucket to bear, but the fire moved so quickly that he could do nothing. Chandra was quickly engulfed in flames, and she shrieked as the fire boiled around her with abandon. You've been listening to Heart of the Hunter, a Koronai Chronicles story. Heart of the Hunter is brought to you by the Fireheart Foundry family of podcasts. 
Fireheart Foundry also produces Fledgling, a Leaden Universe science fiction novel by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. The Bears Grove Podcast. Dragonkin, the podcast for kids and gaming. The Square One Podcast. And Vibrant Living. Find out more about the Fireheart Foundry at fireheartfoundry.com. This podcast is brought to you under a Creative Commons attribution, no derivatives, no commercial use, license 2.5. Music is provided by the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening, and we invite you back to our fire real soon.